Good morning. Every single time I preach, I am always insanely nervous. I have to talk myself down and calm myself down and picture the Trinity, not my daughter, but the actual Trinity, like putting their arms around me. And today is no different because Alicia's parents are here. (laughs) You honor us. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Alicia, please give me a heads up next time. (laughs) Um, Last week, if you were here or if you watched online, you know that Marcy preached. She brought the fire, the literal fire. Like she was talking about firepower. She said, put it in the enemy's face. And I love preaching um, back to back with her because, you know, she can get out there and like tell you to get the firepower. And now this morning, I get to be like mom coming in and waking you up softly from your sleep. And that's, that's what we're gonna do today. You can just call me Tina Turner because we just gonna roll on the river, you know? We're not gonna get to like the fast part. We're just gonna do like the beginning part, like nice and easy. Maybe, I don't know, now I'm kind of tempted. Um, okay, uh, if you would please just join me in a quick prayer and then we'll just jump right in. Father God, I surrender this space to you. It's all about you. It's always all about you. And I pray that you draw us closer to you. Use this time and have your way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right. Um, I see a couple of new faces. I know we have a special guest from Atlanta, so I will quickly catch you up on what has been happening. As Phil mentioned, for the last several weeks, we have been studying the Book of Romans together as one church. But as many of you know, the Book of Romans actually isn't a book. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And Romans is all about Jesus. It is the who, the what, the where, the when, the why, and the how God sent Jesus Christ to his people. If you wanna know what Christians believe, you can read Romans. Now the first portion of Romans covers the foundation. And then chapter eight, which is what we spent the last two weeks studying, encourages us to live life in the spirit to have Jesus be the center of our attention, to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And then chapters nine, 10, and 11 go somewhere a little different. They turn their focus to Jewish believers. And Paul writes with an urgency because he's concerned that the Jewish people, God's chosen people, are going to miss out on God's bigger plan and what God is doing. And he's concerned that only the Gentiles are the ones embracing it. But God, through Paul, reassures us that just like he was able to take you and I, Gentiles who knew nothing about faith and bring us into this wonderful new family, he will make sure that the Jewish people do not miss out either. And so now, in chapter 12, which is what we'll study today, Paul is going to go back to giving us more information on how we are to now live. I'll be honest with you. Chapter 12 is a long list of commands, but they are commands that are meant to help us 
uh, be deeper in unity with one another. And so those commands include things like, don't think too highly of yourself. It also includes show brotherly affection to everyone. Uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. That is not easy or light stuff, but unity rarely is. And the goal, again, is that we would be more wholly united to the Christian life and to one another. Now, if you only read chapter 12 in Romans, you might walk away with the impression that Romans is about keeping rules, but that is not correct. Romans is really about understanding that our righteousness comes through us placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We're no longer under the law. We have been set free by Christ. Here's how chapter 11 ends. Please, madame. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. We are saved. We are blessed. We are free. And so, chapter 12 begins by saying, therefore, hit me. Therefore, don't skip over that word. Therefore, therefore, in light of everything that you just read in the first 11 chapters, in light of the good news, in light of your salvation, in light of righteousness, peace, blessings, in light of all of that, I'm urging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay. Then he says, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What I want us to focus on today is, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. But it's that first part I want you to really catch in view of God's mercy. Now, I grew up hearing this scripture. I think it's a pretty familiar passage, but I always skipped over the first part, you know? You always hear it, like offer up your bodies, right? And then we think about, you know, pretty obvious things, sins or, you know, things we should do, things we shouldn't do. We, we like, we race to that part, but we skip over that in view of God's mercy, And it shouldn't surprise you that I have always skipped over that part because you're talking to somebody that always forgets to preheat her oven. I'll be sitting on my couch and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna cook. I'm not gonna order seamless today. I'm gonna cook and I'm gonna put something in the oven. And then I get over there and I start making stuff and then I look at the oven and it's freezing cold. And I'm like, this does me no good at all. And I think mercy is a little bit like that. 
We want a fully baked meal. We want something piping hot. We want it delicious. We want it to come out of the oven, but we're skipping over the preheating part. If we preheat with mercy, we're really gonna be able to start cooking. If we can offer our bodies to God in view of his mercy, then, bop, we're gonna be able to tackle everything else that Paul is giving us in the rest of the chapter. There's no words going to waste, very intentional about what he's writing. So that's what we're gonna do today. How y'all doing? Y'all rolling? Okay, cool. You are officially a backup dancer because you're the only person that gave me a good nod, so thank you. Just jump up here whenever you want to. Okay, so we're gonna talk about mercy today. Mercy and everything that comes with it. And like I said, mercy is crucial to offering our bodies as living sacrifices. Why? Because mercy changes the way that we love God, ourselves, and other people. Now, I mentioned that chapter 12 contains a lot of important information, a lot of directions on living a good Christian life, a holy and pleasing life. And as I said, out of all the things Paul says, the first thing he tells us to do is offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice and transform our minds. All of this, nothing gets left out, okay? And this is brilliant stuff. We can, you can, if you choose to, give God all of it, body, mind, soul, spirit. Now, before we go any further, I think it's really important to just acknowledge that being a living sacrifice on the surface does not sound that great, you know? And I like to just acknowledge those things because I don't like it when I'm sitting where you're sitting and people get up and they give me like the Nike spirituality. That's what I call it when people are like, just do it, you know? Oh, that's what it says, just do it, just do it. Like, don't hit me with the Nike spirituality. Like, let's acknowledge that some of this is hard or doesn't sound that great. Living sacrifice on the surface brings to mind images of sacrifice. My mind runs wild. I can think of some really terrible things. It includes, I remember there's a Looney Tunes cartoon and Bugs Bunny, I think it's Porky Pig, Elmer Fudd, somebody ties him up with a bunch of rope and then puts him on the train tracks and he's just yelling his head off. And of course, Bugs Bunny is fine at the end, but that is just one of the images that comes to mind. Living sacrifice sounds terrifying, but that is not what is meant here. God does not want a dead life. God does not want you in fear. God wants a living sacrifice, one that is very much alive and very much you. Because being a living sacrifice actually means that we are giving ourselves to God. It means that you're totally devoted to God and you allow him to use you for his greatest good. It means that you say yes to his word and yes to his plans and yes to his way. You look good, you feel good, you follow him, you're in it to win it. That 
is the type of living sacrifice we're talking about. Not you tied up in fear, but you free to follow and soar. Here is that same uh, passage from Romans 12 in the message version, just to bring more color and life to it. So, So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. And so, we give him everything we have. And that sounds so much better to me than being dragged against my will, which is what the enemy wants it to sound like. He wants you to think of it that way. But if we are able to think about what God has done for us, who he is to us, it's gonna make it so much easier for us to offer ourselves wholly and totally to him. His desire is that you would be like him. Do you understand how much potential you have? He wants you to do what he does, go where he goes. It's an honor, not a punishment. It's an invitation for you to show off as a child of God. Now, if you've ever heard a sermon on living sacrifices, you have probably heard someone say, you know what the problem with living sacrifices is? They're alive. And then usually the congregation, if you're in Alabama, um, would laugh. And they, oh, thank you. Um, It's cliche, but it's true. That is the problem with living sacrifices. Living sacrifices don't stay still, okay? We squirm, we twist, There's no rope holding us, but we're just squirming and trying to get off the altar. What is keeping you, if you're willing to give yourself to God, what's keeping you there? I hope it's not fear. Because if it's fear, you won't really be able to obey in the long run. If it's fear of what will happen if I don't obey, what will happen if I don't give my life to God, you're, you're gonna end up trying to squirm off eventually. But when we can offer ourselves and stay there in view of his mercy, now it's gonna be a lot easier to accept and trust that you're in the right position. I um, am somewhere near the end of a book that touches on a lot of this. Uh, being a living sacrifice for God um, and mercy um, let me tell you really quickly how I, this book came to me. So there was a family uh, that attended LMCC for many, many years. And unfortunately, they had to move away. I so miss them. But before they left, we were in the back after church one day, and the wife came up to me, and she said, oh, Jasmine, she said, Um, I've been thinking about you so much because I read this book and it just made me think of you. And I said, oh, okay, you know, that's nice, thank you. And she said, yeah, 
um, every time I turned the page, every time I got to a new chapter, you came to mind. And I said, okay, well, what's the book called? She going to say, Tramp for the Lord. <laughs> I said, what? She said, Tramp for the Lord. I said to myself, you know what, I'm going home. I don't need this kind of harassment. Why would she call me that? And then thankfully her husband came over and he saved her a little bit. He said, it's not what you think, it's not what you think. He said, it's actually about a missionary and it's, it's really good. And um, he was right and, and she was right. It is a very good book. Um, Tramp, <laughs> Tramp for the Lord um, is about a woman named Corrie Ten Boom uh, who was a Dutch watchmaker. She was a little bit older uh, when World War II broke out. And she and her family, they were devout Christians. And when World War II broke out and the Jewish people began to be persecuted, uh, she and her family made it their mission to help them. And it is because, you know, they were, they were Christians. They believed that everyone had been created in the image of God and this was a very undeserved and very unholy persecution. And so they started out in sort of small ways at first. Um, she started getting ration cards for food, making sure that the Jewish people in that area had enough to eat. But then as things, you know, really ramped up, um, she eventually, she and her family built a space in their home to hide and house several individuals. And they did this for quite a while. And then very unfortunately, a Dutch informant turned her in. I believe she went to prison there first, and then they sent her to a concentration camp in Germany, and she went with her sister. I'd, I don't need to tell you how terrible it was, um, but she describes getting into the concentration camp, and she has a Bible hidden on her, and she's with her sister, and she realizes that she's in a line where when she gets to the front, they're gonna make all of the women strip and then put on like a thin hospital gown. And um, all she wants to do is be able to take her Bible in. And so anyhow, she makes an excuse and she goes to the restroom and she finds these benches crawling in cockroaches. And she hides some things and she, she's able to get the Bible in. And so this woman, this devout Christian woman is lived in this concentration camp and she was able to start a Bible study with her sister. And they were able to bring dozens and dozens of people to faith. Overall, she saved over 800 Jewish people, but in the actual concentration camp, she's holding a Bible study. She survived the unimaginable. Um, it turns out she was released by accident by accident, a week before all the women in her age category were uh, sent to the gas chamber. And, but they let her out somehow. They made like a clerical error. We know it was the Lord, obviously. Her sister died there, by the way. Um, so she survived the unimaginable, absolute terror. But while she was there, and especially when she came out, she was a living sacrifice for God. Her mind, 
Her body, her words were no longer her own. She just spent each day fulfilling only what she believed was gonna be holy and pleasing to the Lord, going wherever and to whomever she felt the spirit lead. And her life led her to some incredibly dark places. Eventually, it would lead her back to Germany where she would actually come face to face with some of the people who were guarding her in the concentration camp. But she did not lose her ability to be merciful and compassionate to the world around her. And as you read through the book, you just cannot help but get this sense that what drives her and what motivates her in the hardest of times is thinking about all that God had done for her. And she's so grateful, she's so keenly aware and in view of God's mercy over her life, the the big picture of what he's done, that she has no choice but to spend her life loving him and serving him in return. And I just, I wonder, right? if we spent more time meditating on the mercy of God and what he's done for all of us, man, um, would we be further moved to live for him too? So in view of God's mercy, uh, mercy, well, what what is mercy? Let's define it. It is forgiveness. It is the withholding of a punishment. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. A wrong has been committed, but it doesn't get a measured response. Instead, it just gets overlooked. And our lives have been changed forever because of God's mercy. God loved us, and he showed us mercy by sending Jesus Christ to die in our place on the cross. Every song that we sing, every song this guy writes, every prayer, communion, our tithes, all worship reflects upon the mercy of God seen in Jesus Christ. The book of Micah says this, who is a God like you? who forgives wickedness and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession. He does not retain his anger forever because he constantly delights in mercy and loving kindness. After what he has done for us, what he is still doing for us, what else could we do? What else would make sense but to give our lives back to him? Mercy changes how we love God, ourselves, and others. And I just wanna quickly look at each one of those areas. So first, beholding God's mercy changes how we love God, and thus the way that we offer ourselves to him. Mercy is one of God's attributes. It's a part of his DNA. You can't separate it from him. It's just a part of who he is. When we talk about God being loving, because he is. When we talk about God being holy, because he is. When we talk about God being omnipotent, because he is. He's all of those things. But I think 
too often we forget to mention how merciful he is too. And that deeply defines who he is and what motivates him to act. Now the evidence of mercy, the, sorry, mercy is evident whenever we read and experience his constant commitment to his people. And God is constant and faithful with us even when we are in the wrong because he's a parent. And like a true parent, he does not give up on us and walk away when humanity has disobeyed or taken advantage of his kindness. Instead, he displays tremendous mercy by withholding punishment and remaining close to us. God is just, God is firm, God is not here to play games. There's no doubt about that. But how often do you think on the mercy of God? How often do you think about God being merciful and then you go to him in prayer? How often do you think about God being merciful in response to what you're saying to him? How often do you think about him being merciful before you ask him for what you really need? You have a sense he'll withhold it? Or do you picture him being merciful and generous? I don't want you to mistake this with God being good either. Can I have that quote please, Shay? Charles Finney said this, mercy as an attribute of God is not to be confounded with mere goodness. God is good, we all know that. Goodness may demand the exercise of justice, indeed it often does, but mercy asks that the justice be set aside. Do you see that God is just, he's fair, he can be firm, but in his perfection, he sets the need for justice aside when it benefits us. There are more times than we can count that our sin, our missing the mark, is put to the side so God can just keep working through you and get to where he needs you to go. This mercy allows his compassion to come in because he knows you. He knows everything you've been through. He sees all the pain, all the suffering. He sees down to the root of it. Now, you could not be expected to trust God if you didn't think he was merciful. But because you know he is, you can delight in drawing near to him. And you can trust him because he knows you better than anyone and will only provide the best for you. Sometimes a child doesn't need to be taught a lesson. Sometimes it is overlooking a mistake that creates trust and closeness and tells the child that they're better than their mistakes, more prized than their mistakes. And that is ultimately what drives the change to happen. Beholding God's mercy doesn't just change the way that we love God, though. It also changes the way that we love ourselves. In Psalm 51, David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. You know this, 
most likely. But that psalm was written at one of David's most shameful moments. David was a shepherd, chosen to be a king. He survived a crazy, jealous predecessor. God blessed him tremendously. He had everything he could have ever wanted, except one thing, the one thing he wasn't allowed to have, someone else's wife, a married woman named Bathsheba. Instead of fighting it, instead of surrendering it to God, he embraced the temptation, he slept with her, he got her pregnant, he plotted to have her husband think it was his baby. When that didn't work, then he had him set up, which ultimately led to that man's death. And none of that was hidden from the Lord. And after David was confronted and felt the weight of what he had done, he wrote that Psalm crying out for mercy. And I think that was the right move. That's where you wanna go. I don't know who I'm talking to in here, I'm not excusing the missing the mark. That's not the point. But now that that's done, where do you turn next? You run to the Lord. He is merciful. And David knew that. And he wrote and he cried out to not only a creator, but his father. A loving father doesn't always give you what you deserve, but what is good for you. And we should embrace that because there's something freeing and powerful about knowing that we need mercy, confessing our sins, and then boom, we move forward underneath God's protection and grace. When we are aware and we think on God's mercy, we can then be more forgiving and patient with ourselves. Because mercy tells you who you really are. You are a child of God. You were the first one he poured his mercy out on. His love and goodness extends toward you. And mercy should be a reminder that you are not the mistakes that you make. You are much more than that. As I was preparing, I had a critic's voice in my mind. Um, I always do. But this critic voice, uh, was making me very nervous that you would think I was going too easy on sin and that I don't have a, you know, uh, an urgency or a passion about us obeying the word um, and that it could sound like, you know, I'm saying, okay, we should let ourselves off of the hook. I am not. I am not. <laughs> what I am saying, though, is that when we meditate on the scripture, and we make space to be loving and patient and merciful to ourselves, then we're ready to be loving and patient and merciful toward other people. You're loved. You're not being hunted down when you fail God. You're a recipient of his mercy. Once you get full on that, once you're assured of that, once you have peace with that, now you're ready to minister to other people. Now you're ready to attack what Paul is giving you in the rest of the chapter. Why does mercy matter? Because of that goal that Paul set for us, discovering this new way of life, being united to God, being united to his people. 
God models mercy for us so that we can be merciful toward one another. In a lot of ways, extending mercy is going to be the only way you can get along with other people. You're going to have to overlook things a lot of times. Now think back to that list of commands I gave you at the beginning. Don't think too highly of yourself. Show brotherly affection to everyone. Bless those who persecute you. Be real. How can you enter into such difficult work like that without letting God's love and mercy fill you first? Without remembering that all God has done for you. You did not start where you are today. Don't be so quick to judge other people. Don't be so quick to write other people off. See them in view of God's mercy. Then we can display that attitude that Paul is asking us to display. Now it's possible, hallelujah, to be a living sacrifice. Now you're available to love, to care, to share deeply with other people. Love them even when they're unlovable. But what's the number one argument for withholding mercy? Why y'all withholding mercy over there? I'll tell you. Because you say to yourself, no, 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 no. No mercy for them. Because if I give them mercy, they're never going to learn. They're going to do it again. If I show mercy to the parent that was emotionally abusive, oh, you're moving in your seats now. I can hear. If I show mercy to my spouse, if I show mercy to my kids, if I show mercy to the people that I'm working with, they are going to take advantage. They will never change. I get it. I have all of the same thoughts. There is a very real risk in showing mercy to people. And the risk is very real because we're saying, well, what if? You know, well, what if I, you know, just kind of let that comment that my brother made go and I don't, you know, what if I just kind of let go what he, you know, what he is or he isn't doing? Oh, well, what if? Lots of answers to the what if questions we ask ourselves when we're toying with the idea of showing somebody mercy. But here's my question for you. Are you more interested in bringing people to Christ or making sure they get what they deserve? Are you beholding God's mercy or are you blind to it when it suits you? God did not play the what if game when he looked at our sinful state and decided to bestow mercy anyway. He could have said, yeah, but what if, what if, what if I send Jesus and they don't obey me? Oh, what if, he didn't do that. He bet it all, put it all on the table, willing to bet that in the long run, I can work this plan and I can use mercy and grace to draw people to me. And thank God he did. Because that's why we have Jesus. And now we are not called to count the cost to ourselves. But to be the children of God by displaying his character. 
God is the one that gets to set the standard, not you or I. And God's standard is rich in mercy, letting it endure forever and ever. Sacrificial living, if you're really about that life, it's hard. And it will come at a cost. It will come at a cost to do good to evildoers. But it will be much easier to do in light of God's mercy. William Cowper said, no one was ever scolded out of their sins. Let me say that again, y'all. You can try, but no one was ever scolded out of their sins. It's always mercy that draws us to him. So why do we show mercy? Because we are made in the image of God. We do what he does. We go where he goes. So, don't think too highly of yourself. Show brotherly affection to one another. And bless those who persecute you. In other words, be an agent of God's mercy. Live your life in view of God's mercy. And let it open the way for you to fully offer your bodies, your mind, everything that you have to him as a living sacrifice. Let's pray. <laughs> you are a purifying fire. <laughs> Lord, burn and remove whatever, whatever is not from you. Whatever doesn't belong to us. Burn it up, take it away. With that new space, enter in. God, don't let us forget all that you've done for us. Don't let us forget what you're still doing for us right now. God, help us to be living sacrifices that glorify you, that please you, that draw others to you through our character and our actions. We praise you, God. And we thank you, Lord, that you are not only loving and good, but that you are merciful too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.